Let's be honest, the Christmas season can be overwhelming, can't it? Barbara Rainey remembers as she was raising her children all of the expectations she placed on herself, expectations about gift giving. I wanted to say thank you to the people that delivered our mail. I wanted to say thank you to their piano teacher. And it just, the list went on and on. And I was imposing a standard on myself. And it was probably all skewed up and all wrong. And I was at some level looking for affirmation from people. Or at some level, I was probably looking for someone to give me a pat on the back that I was the best mom in the world. I don't know. So I'm often my own worst enemy. And I think a lot of women are like that. We're often our own worst enemy. We have expectations of ourselves that God does not have of us. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll talk today about making the holiday season a little more manageable, and it all starts by having your priorities straight. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition. You know, you get to the end of the Thanksgiving celebration, the weekend is over, and you feel like... I can take a I can take a breath, and then you turn the calendar. <laughs> That's right, and it's upon you. you. Look, the Christmas rush. I can't stop for anything. And you know, it'd be interesting to to have a stress meter, especially on young moms who are really trying to to make Christmas the, the holiday of holidays during the year. Well, I Apple mean, is working on this, a stress meter that a mom can wear during the holiday. I think that could create depression. Maybe it's an Everthine home product you can create. <laughs> the stress meter. Barbara joins us on Family Life today. Welcome uh, back to the broadcast, sweetheart. Thanks. Glad to be here. Back by popular demand, I might add. This season of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, this is your favorite time of the year. It is. And it's also a time of the year that you it always the dread. the craziest, yeah. For most moms, they, they feel a, a burden during this season to want to pull off a great family holiday thing. And that burden can just punch them in the gut, can't it? Well, it makes it impossible. I mean, it's truly impossible to create the kind of Christmas that can be imagined. And most moms and women imagined creating something that's truly memorable and it's meaningful and it touches our lives. And we get up in the morning, we're full of energy and we play carols and we bake cookies and we take them to our neighbors and we do something for the postmen and all the teachers and we 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 just have a desire to do all of that and it's just overwhelming and i ended up every year feeling like a failure and now in so many ways now you're blaming pinterest for the whole thing right well i didn't and i just stop and think what would it have been like had i had pinterest because i'm thinking it was bad enough with my own expectations that i put on myself to make christmas memorable for my kids and to do all of these things that in my mind would communicate love to all these people in our lives. But if I had had Pinterest, I don't know what would have happened to him. I might have had a nervous breakdown. I don't know. A million of your closest friends would have uh, taken their images of what they're doing, and you would have compared what you're doing unfavorably. Of course I would have, because all women do that. We always are comparing our homes and our kids and our clothes and our yards and our everything with other women. And from a distance, we always fall short. And so at Christmas, it's no different. I would have gotten on Pinterest ostensibly to look for some really cool ideas because there are recipes and decorating ideas and crafts and 
you name it, it's on Pinterest. I would have gotten on looking for those things, thinking this is going to help me, when in fact it probably would have squashed me and killed me. <laughs> and so you've taken all of your theological background, your uh, gift in art, and um, you have designed something else for moms to do? Well, the reason, yes, I have. <laughs> Just pile it on, huh? Yes, now that you put it that way. But here's here's the deal. I think what we women, because it's not just young moms, because I feel the same thing to date, although to a lesser degree because I don't have kids. But I think what we women want to do is we feel a desire, and I think it's a good desire, to make the holidays – our Christian holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, to make them meaningful because we know that there's great, deep, eternal meaning in the incarnation of Christ and in his resurrection at Easter. And so because we know that, we think, okay, if I bake all these cookies or if I give all these gifts or if I decorate my house so that it's really, really special with lots of lights, it will make it meaningful. And obviously it is different than our everyday normal routine. But you can't find meaning in the superficial. And I think we get confused as women thinking that adding all these things, these exterior things, is going to impart meaning. It's going to make something special. Well, maybe it does make it special at a certain level, but it doesn't connect us to the eternal. And I think that's what we're longing for in our hearts is to be connected to the eternal. You know, when we were raising our kids we'd come to this season of the year and here were the things that we kind of had to juggle. We had family traditions Mm -hmm. that really had no spiritual significance at all. But we don't want to let them go. No, I mean... We can't give up mom's cookie recipe or grandma's whatever. For us, fajitas on Christmas Eve was a big deal. Now, you get nothing spiritual out of fajitas, but that was was important. Yeah, no, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) That's an important part of the holiday. Then we had all of the the kids' school stuff going on, Mm -hmm. whether it's a Christmas pageant or the church cantata or Mm -hmm. those things. Then we had... Uh, all of the the business or social, the small group Christmas party, the family life Christmas party that's going on, the team Christmas party. Right. So we had all of that happening. And by the time you loaded everything into the schedule, the opportunity to do anything meaningful and spiritual with the family, there was just no time left. Well, and it's not just time. There's no energy left. There's no emotional energy or the ability to infuse it with life. I mean, I think we get so depleted emotionally and spiritually because we're investing so much in these activities and in these physical manifestations of our celebration. And what I wish our listeners had some idea of is the amount of time Barbara has prayed, worked, and labored over these resources to teach your children to make Christ the center of uh, the Christmas holidays, just to see the care she has gone to, not only in the beautiful artistic design, but 
in the research that is done. And some of our listeners know that a couple of years ago, you started designing adornments Mm -hmm. as a way to make the Christmas tree declare Christ. And adornments were the names of Christ the first year. It was the Christmas names. Correct. And then the second year were his royal names. And our listeners have responded, and we get comments all the time from people coming up saying, you've helped us put Christ back into Christmas and have turned our Christmas tree into a tool to declare Christ to our friends, our family members, our neighbors. And now this year, you've taken it another step further, and you've created a third set of seven adornments that declare his Savior names. Explain why you chose the Savior names. Well, you can't separate Christmas from Easter, because when Jesus came to earth, he was born to die. We don't think about that at Christmas. We like the sweet baby in the manger. We like the angels. We like all the things that have been you know, woven into the story that make us feel really good. But we have to remember that he didn't come just to make us feel good. He came to redeem us, and that redemption meant his life. It meant he had to suffer and die on a cross for us in order to purchase us back to a relationship with him and the Father. And so while I was really excited about doing Jesus' Christmas names, which are the names from Isaiah and the story in Luke, and while I loved doing his royal names, which are his the names etched into crowns like King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Lion of Judah, there's something about the Savior names that are mm. indispensable in understanding who Christ is. And so I'm really excited about his Savior names this year because they're seven of his names that represent his salvation work for us, and they're all, uh, each one is on a different shape of a cross. So even though we don't tend to associate the cross with Christmas, they have to go together. And so as a family, one of the things that you can do to um, impart that meaning Uh, those moments of um, spiritual depth or discussion in your family is to talk about the names of Christ during the month of December as you're hanging your tree, or you could read the little book as um, part of devotions or before school. I mean, there are a host of different ways you can do it, but I think what women are longing for in all of the things that they see on Pinterest and the things that they see in magazines and that they talk about with their friends is they want that meaning. They want to put Christ back in Christmas. They just don't know how to do that. Dennis talked about the prayer that you put into this and the hours that you've worked on this. You really had, as I see it, two objectives in mind. One was that you wanted to give moms and dads something that as you said, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed. This is something that they don't have to spend a lot of time preparing for. It's kind of a turnkey Mm -hmm. spiritual Mm -hmm. opportunity Mm -hmm. for the family that's already built in to activity you're going to be doing. You're going to be trimming the Christmas tree. That's right. So here's a way to bring some spiritual sense to what you're doing. And then you wanted it to be really pretty. I mean, you, you you wanted it. Bob, you know me well now. Yes, I wanted well, it to be very pretty. And I have to tell you, I mean, I, I have really thought the ornaments in past years were beautiful. These are my favorites. Yeah. The ones you've done this year, and you've said they're crosses, but they're just really elegant looking mm-hmm. and 
I love what you've done with the ornaments in this year. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And I, I'm encouraged to hear you say that, but I'm hearing that from lots and lots of people. Everyone who sees them says they're my favorite. And I think it's because we know and understand that the cross is central mm-hmm. to our faith. And so when we see the cross done beautifully, it elevates and adds elegance to the truth of the scripture. And I, I just think that helps us worship because God is a beautiful God. And, and we should just say if folks are interested in seeing, because it's hard yes. to describe these on radio, but folks can go to everthinehome.com and they can see exactly what we're talking about. They can see the ornaments and how they're available. And and part of what you're hoping is that when they come down from the Christmas tree, they'll get put back up around the home a few months later, right? Yeah, we're actually creating some stands so that you can purchase, if you want to, a set of three stands and you can take your favorite three crosses and put them on the stands and put them on a shelf or on your fireplace mantle and leave them up all year long. And I'm going to add my voice to uh, both of you and say this is my favorite too. And the reason is they're not only beautiful, but the names are powerful names. Mm-hmm. And and every time I think about what you've done, sweetheart, is I think about, I really do, I think about this a lot. From Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that's Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is really important. It tells us about the God-man. Mm-hmm. It tells us what he came to do. And the thing that really is, I just think is really fun about this, is you've not just chosen any cross. You've chosen seven crosses from distinct periods of history, and many of them are from different continents. Well, as I started looking at the different kinds of cross shapes, I realized that there are different crosses from different cultures. So for instance, one of the crosses that I ended up using is called the Coptic cross. The Coptic cross is and has been used by the Coptic Christians who live in Egypt for almost since the time of Christ. It's been around for for centuries and it has a distinct shape. It's always been that shape and that's a symbol to them of their faith in Christ. Um, There's also the Ethiopian cross, which is also a part of that culture and has been a part of that culture for centuries. So it was fun to find these different historical crosses because I think it reminds us that Christianity is an international faith. It's not just an American Western faith and we get so narrow in our thinking and these crosses open our eyes to see that there are people all around the world who believe in Christ and who follow him, and they have different symbols, all forms of the cross, and we can be united around that. And so the devotional book that comes with the set of seven Mm -hmm. not only talks about the name that is on the cross, but it also talks about the design of the cross Mm -hmm. and gives parents an opportunity with their kids to talk about the attributes of Jesus, but also to talk about the universality Mm -hmm. uh, of the Christian faith and Mm -hmm. the fact that we have brothers and sisters who live in Egypt and who live in Ethiopia and who live in places all around the world and worship the Savior. Yeah, and I just think what a wonderful opportunity for families to be able to talk about these things, because that's essentially what I longed for when I was 
a mom raising our kids when Dennis and I were parenting full time. I wanted something that would help me communicate biblical truth to my kids at Christmas, and I couldn't find anything. We read the Luke 2 story. Sometimes our kids acted it out, but I just wanted more than that. So that's a part of the reason that I'm really excited about this, because moms can look at all the things on their list. They can look at the cookies and the Christmas cards and the gifts and all of that stuff and decide what is really most important. But if at the top of your list, you say, teaching my kids about Christ in the month of December, Mm -hmm. some of those other things on your list might have to go. But in the long run, if you teach your kids about Christ at Christmas, if you read the stories of his names, his Savior names, or his Christmas names, or his royal names, you will have done the most important thing in the month of December. And if you don't get the cookies done, no one's going to remember. If you don't get that last Mm -hmm. whatever nobody's going to really remember, but your kids might remember some of what they heard about Jesus, and that's worth more than than any of the traditions you're trying to keep. So if you're sitting down with a young mom and she's saying, I'm already starting to feel overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by the season. And they are. You would coach her to kind of list the priorities and Mm -hmm. figure out what are the essential ones and what are the ones you can throw overboard if you need to? Yeah, it's like my friend Lisa Turkhurst says in her book, The Best Yes. It's what is the most important? What are the things that would please God the most? And learning about him is going to be the most important thing. That's going to be the activity or the event that is going to be the most lasting in your family. And so you, you put those things that are the most important at the top and you make sure those happen, even if some of the other things that you really care about emotionally, like making mom's Christmas cookies or whatever it is that you care about emotionally, those things, you say, okay, God, I'm I'm willing to let those go. But, you know, it could be that the kids, in terms of what they're begging you for, mm-hmm. is not let's sit down and do devotions around the names of Jesus. It's let's make the Christmas cookies. Well, but there are things that moms put on their list that their kids aren't begging for. Because, see, one of the things I like so much about Lisa's book is she said, I'm often my own worst enemy. There were lots of things that were on my list that my kids weren't begging like me for. What? Well, I mentioned earlier taking gifts to all these people. Why I felt like I needed to do that, I don't know. But I wanted to take some kind of meaningful gift to all of my kids' teachers. And we had six, so we had a lot of teachers. I wanted to say thank you to the people that delivered our mail. I wanted to say thank you to their piano teacher. And it just, the list went on and on. And I was imposing a standard on myself. And it was probably all skewed up and all wrong. And I was at some level looking for affirmation from people. Or at some level, I was probably looking for someone to give me a pat on the back that I was the best mom in the world. I don't know. I just know that I was putting expectations on myself. I was putting them on myself. My husband wasn't putting them on me. My kids weren't saying, oh, mom, we have to take gifts to all these people. They were saying, we've got to make grandma's cookies. Mm -hmm. But they weren't saying all those other things. So... I'm often my own worst enemy. And I think a lot of women are like that. We're often our own worst enemy. We have expectations of ourselves that God does not have of us. Today, you'd just send the, the kids to school with some ornaments that, that they've gotten. I would. <laughs> I would. Give Absolutely, this to the I would. I would give them each an ornament. I would buy a set of seven, and I would divide that set up, and I would put it in a card or something. Yeah, and that's, part, that's another reason why I have done these ornaments is because they make great gifts. Hmm. And I always wanted to give something meaningful, and I didn't have time to stand in the kitchen and make homemade jelly and can it. 
I mean, really. <laughs> I tried one year, but seriously, it was it was insane. What, so. what I would want a mom to hear, in fact, I would charge the moms who are listening, you need to decide what really matters and what really counts. And it doesn't matter if it made your kid's top 10 list or not. Yeah. If you've got a sense of wanting to pass on spiritual truth and guide them in making discoveries about Jesus Christ and helping your husband look good, because these resources, what you can do is give him this book, which is called A Son is Given, and it's it has all the information about all seven of the crosses, and you can read this in less than five minutes. This is not some lengthy theological education, but you can make a big deal out of these seven this year, and for those who have the previous two sets of seven, the Christmas names and the royal names, if you wanted to. Now, again, I'm not trying to heap this on anybody, but if you wanted to, you could take 21 days Mm -hmm. throughout the month of December and begin the process of making your tree declare the one who made Christmas famous Mm -hmm. and giving your kids an introduction to him. Uh, We've actually had kids come to faith in Christ Mm -hmm. through the discussion that occurs around what these these, uh, adornments mean. Well, and if you do have the previous sets and you have read the book to your children, chances are they're not going to remember a tenth of it. So you might as well read it again. And then that rereading every year can become a new tradition that's a very meaningful tradition that will make a lasting impact on your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I kind of ran by this kind of quickly, but I think there's a lot to be said for a wife who gets a resource like this and helps her husband guide his family spiritually. And the kids don't need to know that mom bought it. That's not the point. The point is is that together, you as husband and wife, mother and father, maybe grandfather and grandmother, are setting a spiritual direction for your family. And in this culture and in this world that is primarily a materialistic culture— and that is post-Christian, if there's ever been a time when the family ought to be setting a direction spiritually for their children, it's today. And what better holiday other than Christmas to do it? But, you know, kids, again, are not going to find this to be the delight, typically. I mean, as parents, we always want them to kind of squeal and giggle over, this is my favorite part, you made a wonderful memory. And sitting down and hanging an ornament on the tree and reading a devotional for five minutes, they're not going to get up at the end and say, oh, mom, that was the best part of Christmas. Thank you so much. And I think a lot of parents get discouraged by that Mm -hmm. and say, I don't want to do it tomorrow night because the kids just don't get as excited about it as I wish they would. It's Christmas. You can have cookies afterwards. You can have treats afterwards. I mean, okay. So they're not excited about it. The point is, is that you are the leader of your children. You are the one who knows what's best for them. Just like we feed them what is best for them. We make them sleep at night because they need to go to bed and they need eight to 10 hours of sleep or whatever. We know as moms and dads that they need to know about Christ and this is good for their spiritual growth. And so... If you need to bribe them with cookies and, you know, (laughs) candy canes or hot chocolate, yeah, it's fine. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah, or my mom's bonbons. There you go. Now, I don't want to put that. Which I never made because I read the recipe. Oh, it's a lot of work. Oh, my gosh. It made canning jelly look easy. It made canning jelly look very easy. (laughs) I I would just say you got to decide who your audience is and 
who you are performing for. Mm -hmm. And in this case, didn't Max Lucado write a book called The Applause of Heaven? Mm -hmm. I think that's the issue. If you're looking for applause from children. (laughs) Or Pinterest or your neighbors or your friends. Yeah, I think you're looking in the wrong place. I do think when we celebrate the names of Christ, increasingly as I grow older, his name is above every name. And his name will be the name that causes every knee to bow when this is all over and done with. And so why not go ahead and introduce your kids to Christ and maybe they will trust him as Savior, Redeemer. This Christmas. Yeah, this Christmas. Well, and and again, I think the best thing for listeners to do is to see what we've been talking about. Go to everthinehome.com everthinehome.com and you can see all seven of the new ornaments that Barbara has designed, the new adornments that are his savior names. You can also see his Christmas names and his royal names from past years and other resources that uh, Barbara has been designing for Christmas. Again, the website is everthinehome.com. Now, as we've talked today about getting your priorities in alignment during the uh, the Christmas season. I hope that you will consider one of your priorities between now and the end of the year, uh, just asking the Lord to direct your steps as it relates to year-end giving. I know for Marianne and me, one of the things we do during the month of December is we spend time reflecting on uh, how God has been at work in our lives over the last 12 months. And we often make year-end donations to ministries that God has used in a significant way to encourage us or to equip us or to help us grow in the previous 12 months. If Family Life Today is one of those ministries, can we ask you to consider making a year-end contribution in support of all we're doing here? Uh, The month of December is a significant month for us. In fact, more than half of the money we need to operate as a ministry comes in during the month of December. So this month determines a lot about what ministry is going to look like in the next 12 months for us. And we've had some friends of the ministry who are aware of that dynamic. And so they came to us recently and said, we'd like to provide matching funds. We will match every donation that comes in during the month of December on a dollar for dollar basis up to a total of $2 million. And of course, we want to do all we can do as a ministry to try to take full advantage of their generosity and of this matching gift fund. Would you consider going to our website today? Go to familylifetoday.com. Click the button in the upper right-hand corner. You can make an online donation that way, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make the donation over the phone. Or if you'd like to mail your donation to us, our mailing address is Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. And let me just say thanks in advance for whatever you're able to do in support of the Ministry of Family Life today during the month of December. And I hope you can join us back tomorrow. Barbara Rainey will be here again. We'll continue talking about how you can have the right priorities during the holiday season. Hope you can be here for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.